There's a new virus in the database. We have a zero bug attacking all login and all the way files. Run antivirus. Give me a systems display. Welcome to a new episode of the Rising Cyber of this season. Today I'll be interviewing Emir Lupo. He's a technology risk manager, cybersecurity, worked at many of Australia's largest financial organizations and banking. Personally, whenever I think of risk management, gap analysis, or anything to do with GRC, Amir Lupo is the one I turn to for answers and clarifications. Amir, welcome to today's episode and thanks for your time. Thank you, Shadi, for inviting me and giving me the opportunity to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Thank you so much. As you know, this is a podcast and the time we limit ourselves within half an hour. So I have a lot of ground I want to cover with you and I want to get the most benefit out of your knowledge today. One of the questions I almost get asked um, by people is how an IT support person or a system engineer or a project manager in IT um, want to transition, want to do or work in, in risk or cyber risk management or what is that role uh, as you see it or as you have been doing it for years yeah sure so um basis of risk is also understanding technology and um from my experience um, and from what i've learned the foundation is really important so technology and understanding technology and the risks associated with the technology that we use every day is really important it's an area that you can never know everything all the time and it's something that is really interesting um, to people who are in risk um, and understand the technology you can expand on the risk understanding of how the technology could potentially be used adversely or um, for positive it's always, you know, that challenge, uh, cyber risk approach or a compliance approach in organizations. When data and preserving data become a liability and, you know, start affecting organizations. So one of the challenges that you face probably is data and the risk of that. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Data governance is an interesting uh, part that's recently come up. It's uh, the management, the handling, the storage, the protection, uh, the location of customer data, especially um, things like encryption, backup, um, geolocation, uh, who's responsible for it? Is it um, the business units? Is it the technology department? Um, is the cyber department responsible for certain parts of it? And from my understanding and the way I feel about it is that data belongs to the custodians of where the data is stored in the business unit. In other words, if you have uh, a banking um, part in your business and your customers, um, you're storing your customers' data um, as the business unit, then you are responsible for the data. The technology and cyber teams are there to assist you, but at, at the end of the day, the management and the security um, and the responsibility of managing that data responsibly lies with the people who use the data within the organization. 
um, with regards to, and, and there's something very interesting that you called up um, with regards to GRC, the ITGC, the NIST framework, uh, policies, standards, these are all things that we use to lay the foundation. What I feel about these standards and policies is that they are great. They're always changing, but I feel you always need to also add common sense. Um, sometimes the frameworks or the policies don't necessarily um, reflect the impact of a risk. Um, the likelihoods I feel are is slightly less significant, but the impact is very significant. Uh, we all use in the risk business uh, likelihood and impact tables, uh, various um, uh, uh, various versions of those tables. Um, and together they give you uh, a residual risk rating or an inherent risk rating, which is a rating, a risk rating before you apply controls to patch the gaps or to address the gaps in, in the risks that we have. Um, but all those things are just tools um, to help you and guide you. At the end of the day, common sense is also quite important. And I've got examples where, uh, for instance, um, KRIs, which are key risk indicators, um, and the way that they've been thought about in the past may not necessarily reflect how things are at the moment. And I'll give you an example, Shady. Customer data and storing of customer data and the and the length of time that customer data is being stored in. And the customer data I'm talking about are things like date of births, tax file numbers, credit card numbers, um, bank account numbers, uh, addresses, telephone numbers, all those kinds of things. Up until about five years ago, no one really cared much about the storage and the management of these of this information. But as we could see with the latest types of attacks, and especially on big institutions, that once people get in and breach the perimeters, that information is a goldmine. And that information is worth much more than any one department has got money allocated to it to protect it. And I just feel that all these frameworks, or most of these frameworks, the way they were written, were written before these kinds of new attacks have started. Um, and so I feel that a lot of them need to be adjusted um, as time goes on. And that is also why I feel some common sense has to be added into these um, tables and these um, assessments that we do of risks. That is uh, exactly what, you know, sometimes I, I think we're lacking, you know, these frameworks that we follow, some follow blindly, attack vectors are being developed every day, every week. And yet we still follow same frameworks that have been done years and years uh, before that. And that kind of um, step into the, the next thing I want to ask about here in Australia, we follow a lot of APRA, CPS, before and Corey. Do you think really these frameworks are helping us, in, especially in the financial sector? Um, that's a really good question. It's a, it's a really deep question and I'm very passionate about these things. The short answer is um, yes. In in their own little ways, yes, they help. CPS two three four is about resilience. It's about the effectiveness of vulnerability patch management um, and mitigations, uh, pen testing, um, 
and and just ways in which an organization can feel comfort in knowing that they can withstand. APRA has now changed its point of view of, of what they consider more important. With CPS 230, for instance, it's more about operational risk and maintaining, um, maintaining a system that is resilient in, towards the customer. The customer must be able to access their information. The customer must be able to um, use organization systems 99.9% of the time. They, uh, CPS 230 is more focused on customer and that's the way they're going towards customer and data management. Um, and APRA has also changed in, in its way in which it looks at um, instead of trying to mitigate attacks, they pretty much know that everyone's going to be attacked. So now it's more of about making sure that you that you can stay up and restore and recover rather than uh, protect yourself and the perimeter. Because as we know in cybersecurity, we can protect against everything and anything that we know of. Um, and the... Um, hackers or the the perpetrators only need to find one vulnerability to get in and that's what makes our job so difficult is that we cannot 100% say that our systems are completely safe even with zero trust there is a certain level of vulnerabilities that are inherent in the systems um, namely human beings in phishing attacks there's no way you can mitigate that at the end of the day if somebody inside the organization clicks on a phishing link, it doesn't matter what kind of protection you have, there will be some form of uh, breach. Whether it's significant or not, I don't think is relevant. But the fact is that things like phishing attacks cannot be stopped. Um, and that is why even APRA is now focusing on um, restoration, data, uh, disaster recovery, uh, which is not the same as restoring. Dot, uh, and that is something organizations also battle with. Um, trying to differentiate between disaster recovery and restoration. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention to you as well is an indication of how industry has changed. Even with NIST, they were very, very much focused on password complexity as being the foremost uh, mitigation of, um, of losing your credentials, uh, making it complex and making it uh, long. Whereas now they've revised it to rather than being complex and human beings being the people that we are, uh, would just add an insignificant number at the end of a very complex password just so that we can remember it. And that made it even weaker. Nowadays, what they recommend is to just make it longer and make it a story rather than complicated. That way we can remember them easier. It's still harder to crack because of the length um, and you cannot perform dictionary attacks. So that's an indication as well how industry has moved, not just APRA, but also NIST, which is a really good framework to use as a foundation um, in, in the five different um, areas that they focus on, such as recovery and um, protection um, and the other ones. I, yeah. Identify, yeah. So... Industry changes, people need to change, um, and we also need to change with the times. Um, together with uh, GPT or other 
artificial intelligent types of or machine learning type of systems as human beings we will not be able to mitigate the kind of complexities that are going to be coming up um, and therefore we 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 need to be as vigilant as possible and make it as hard as possible for people to breach our systems but knowing that when they do accessing the information will also be difficult i think yeah. that's the most important thing like not to be the lowest hanging fruit make it as hard as possible yeah like patch you know don't have any end of life end of support systems make sure that you can back up make sure that you have some sort of privileged access management um, regime which is also important um, with um, timed sessions logging sessions um, credential um, um, management um, storage um, certificates keys all those kinds of things although it may be compromised at least make it really difficult for someone once they get in to get into those things i couldn't agree more uh just as well with because we have a lot of uh, people listening to the podcast from europe and the us um cori which is the cyber operation resilient investigation led exercise by the council of finance and regulation here in australia and uh, like as you said to me it is the framework for red teaming exercise and being proactive in the measure of testing the systems uh, uh, and adversary and simulating these attacks in a red and purple team uh what i noticed as well in europe they have uh, what they call tiber uh, framework and each country for example we have fiber fr for france each country has a, a similar framework they are a little bit different between each other belgium have a different one each country there and europe have one and in the uk they have the cbest uh, threat intelligence uh, for lead uh, assessment in in that domain as well and they're all for banking and financial organizations just a quick question i'm not sure about the industry in australia have we started looking in doing certain risk assessment on the encryption for a quantum era or it's still too early for us to start doing these things here? um shady um in my organization um things move very slowly so no we haven't uh, what we have started um, looking at is using ai to assist in certain areas um, but the thing is that ai is very much a wild west and needs regulation at the moment we're not quite sure what we can feed the ai um, to help us and to help our customers so when it comes to things like quantum computing and other really advanced um, technologies we haven't yet implemented it i think australia is very conservative before rolling out certain things um sometimes overly regulated um but i think at the end of the day if there are risks and the risk assessments that we do um that are very critical or or would impact our customers severely then i think it would move quickly at the moment there is no need i haven't heard of anything um, but i did want to mention something else uh, with regards to risk assessments and risk acceptances i feel as well in the industry and i'm not sure about other financial institutions but i know with mine that there is this idea that a risk acceptance paper solves the problem 
of the risk, which it does not. Yeah. A risk acceptance only delays the time in which you have to fix the problem. It doesn't take it away. And therein lies part of the problem is that people kind of raise risk acceptances for gaps or for things that cannot be worked on for various reasons um, and leave it. The risk is still there. The risk hasn't gone away and that's really important and I feel that a lot of people in technology don't quite grasp that concept which is a really important one because risk is not just for the risk department or line one, line two or line three or anyone else. Risk is everybody's problem. Everybody is responsible in some way for risk and I feel that if we have more discussions across organizations or more discussions with people and raise the risk awareness, people will start understanding more clearly that there is risk in everything and you cannot stop work because of risk. By all means, you can carry on doing the work. You know, you can you can come up with new ideas, come up with new technologies, but also understand that there are risks to that. Now, I wanted to actually make it in layman's terms, how I see risk and how I see technology. I see technology as a vehicle, a vehicle that can travel very fast and risk or risk um, awareness are the brakes on the car. The car can go faster because you know that you have brakes that you can apply at any time which is the risk department which can come in and have a look and assess certain risks and bring them up and show you the gaps as opposed to having no brakes no department of risks and here you have a vehicle that is traveling at high speed with no protection and no way of mitigating any emergencies if 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 it's required so risk doesn't necessarily hold a business back it may in certain circumstances and i feel in many circumstances allows it to accelerate and allows it to go faster and further because you become aware you do these risk assessments you do these risk and change papers you make yourself aware of the gaps that are there and as long as you can articulate it and track it i feel that you can go much farther much quicker and maybe even cheaper uh do you think there's kind of like a conflict between the risk and like line one, line two, and line three, and each team works separate, they don't communicate, they are in silos, and they say this is separation of duties and not to affect anyone other opinion on that? Uh, do you think that works for organizations or we need or there should be a different, better approach with that? That's a really good question. In my organization, we actually have a very respectful um um we work within respectful lines so line one pretty much does the so in my organization we have line one and we have line one risk most organizations only have line one but we've separated ours because we felt that the business the business units or the platforms or the platform owners required assistance in understanding what the risks were or what the gaps were with regards to what they were doing. They didn't quite understand the concept. So we kind of made line one, line 1.5 and then line two, um, which actually works for us um, because it, what it does is it gives risk professionals the ability to address 
risks with the platform owners or with the business owners or with the technology teams or cyber teams and give them a greater context of what is required when it comes to line two line two is more of an oversight and a challenge line two would look at the organization <clears throat> um, more broadly sometimes business units are not aware of other business units conducting certain things that impact them um, and also engage in vendor um, assessments and third party and fourth party assessments and understand what their risks are and what risks they project onto us because um, as we've seen in the news very recently um, third party and, and um, MSPs uh, managed service providers are being breached and in that way they breach their clients which is um, obviously your organization or my organization so it's important to understand and have a broader understanding of other risks involved within the organization um, and then line three would be the internal audit team which will have the ability to raise any issues that they find or major gaps that they find with the board or with the trustees or with the executives um, and, in, and impact change. Line one and line two don't really have the ability to impact change within the organization, um, which is maybe sad, but it's the way it works. As to whether or not line one, two and three is the way to go, I don't know. It's the only thing we have at the moment and it seems to be the most practical and the smoothest way of doing things. It may not be perfect all the time, I don't think anything will be, but for now, I think it works. I think, I think even if they cross over each other, as long as there's some sort of general understanding of what line one should do and what line two should do and what internal audit should do, I think that works. I, yeah. I already do. One of the questions as well I had is, what is the common myth about your job or you know what you do? Uh, one of the things I discovered, you know, people in cybersecurity when it comes to risk, when they transfer a risk, that's it, they've completed that. Uh, like, for example, having a cybersecurity insurance and they transfer that risk, so it's not theirs. But in reality, it's still their duty, it's still their uh, responsibility. Do you have these misconceptions about that line of work? Absolutely. And Shady, I think, I think it's across every organization where people like to delegate or like to um, transfer the ownership of something that should be theirs to somebody else or don't take ownership of something that should be theirs. One of the things that I battle with is enforcing um, strict guidelines when it comes to ownership. So if I see, for instance, uh, we have an issue with um, uh, user access management in terms of the fact that the business unit doesn't give the information to the technology team in order to uh, make the changes or uh, you know address some sort of onboarding process. It's not up to the technology team. They wouldn't even know what the process is. They will just do what they are told to do. They will say, okay, so we expect to get a an email or we expect the API to feed into our system some information. They don't know whether or not that person is supposed to be there. They don't know whether their system is working as it needs to. And that's why we have control assurance testing or control, control assurance test, uh, 
programs. Um, and there is this misconception where ownership is is kind of transferred. And I'll give you a perfect example of something that happened in my organization when it came to backup. So you have a business unit who has an application. This application, they said to the technology team, we need this backed up. They didn't specify how long, what the retention policy should be, the frequency, the storage, the location, the encryption, the access, the logging, the monitoring. They didn't they just told the technology team we need this backed up the technology team asked them okay so you need this application we'll call the application x and the technology team backed up application x through the control assurance review and tests that were conducted what we came to realize is the the rpo and the rto required by the business for application x was not being met they needed a return to operations um within an hour and the technology team had no idea because they were just told to back it up so they were backing it up once a day and the retention that they had was one week based on the budget that they were given the the business unit required it for one month they required also um they didn't ask for evidence that backups were actually being conducted and a server was spun up to do some sort of uh, high availability type of um, process and that system was not being backed up because it wasn't registered so they never went and looked at the servers that were being backed up compared to the servers that were being spun up nobody checked the logs and there were failures as well nobody re-ran the backups and it was just a big mess and we asked the question how did this come to happen and what we realized is that the business unit did not speak to the technology team in terms of what they actually needed they were just very vague and said we need a backup and so yes there is a really big gap i find in terms of the risk that people take the conversations they have with the technology teams who only do what they told they don't know to ask the other questions. They wouldn't know. Yeah, yeah. As they say, the you know the devil is in the details. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And with ITGCs and controls assurance testing, so we have a framework that has fifty-six controls, and we test those controls. Not all the controls all the time. We have uh, a plan in action, um, and it's important. It's important to test them. It's important to test the attributes and to test the details. It's not just enough to say we have a control that says we have a backup. That's not good enough anymore. We need to know the details of the backup. We need to know how often does it fail? Does it get logged? Is there an alert? Is there monitoring? Is it encrypted? Where is it stored? How is it stored? Who has access to the backup? What happens to it once we reach the capacity? Is there a capacity? What happens if the backup servers run out of capacity? Is there monitoring for that? Is there anyone that gets alerted? What happens if that person who's getting the alert is not available? Is there a backup person? And what is our time to restore? Sometimes you cannot restore. Sometimes it's impossible. So these kinds of questions are really important to be asked. And this is where risk comes in. When you understand what the risk is of not doing a backup, you go back to the business owners, go back to the technology team, you bring people together and you have the discussion. And that's when I feel these lights go off in their minds and they actually start to understand what it is yeah. that risk is about. Yeah, totally agree there. Um, 
this is like my assumption why I think you are one of the best people I've seen and when it comes to risk assessment um, and it is my this is my opinion because you were a pilot previously and that attention to details you know when you fly a plane if you miss something if you don't you know check and you know double and triple check things you know lives are at risk there is that or did that play in you being you know having these attention to details and assessing things thoroughly and seeing things that other people haven't seen and i've seen that happening in real life uh, is that why you know this is kind of what helped you in your previous um work um you know that's a really good question because i often get asked that um when i uh, not often i used to get asked that when i went for interviews so one of the questions they asked and they found it very strange that i am a pilot because being a pilot is quite risky right yeah i mean you can't really pull over on the side of the road when you've when you've run out of petrol that's right you, you're going to drop through the sky yeah so you are absolutely and 100 correct you cannot take off until you've done all your pre-checks you cannot take off until you know that plane inside and out literally you walk around that plane and you do an investigation every single time before you take off and once you're in there in the air you continue to do these uh, checks such as um, what they call t's and p's temperatures and pressures which are really important and your fuel lines and your gauges um, for instance what many people don't think about is where is the petrol actually stored on an airplane and the petrol is actually stored in the wings yeah. now if you use one wing and you don't keep switching over it, the airplane is going to be lopsided and that's got to impact a lot of things as well yeah. so you've got to keep switching and you've got to be monitoring those those levels as well like you've got to know how much petrol you have you're going to know any emergencies that you need to enact that you will be in a in a vicinity that you are um comfortable with to do an emergency landing for instance or be able to pull up or pull down be on the correct frequency so you don't crash into anyone there are lots and lots of checklists that you constantly go through flying an airplane for the pilot is not um it, it's not a holiday at all in fact most of what you do is managing the systems and when i learned to fly there was no advanced gps systems there was no electronics the, these things were all dials and there were compasses and there were all manual things like you would probably see in in airplanes 50 years ago so that has really helped me i think people like you and me and other people like us we've always been like this we've always been looking at the details we've always been interested in in understanding and and in some ways mitigating risks in in many ways for me flying a plane just is the almost like the pinnacle of risk because if anything's gone wrong the chances of success rests completely on your shoulders understanding and assessing the risk assessing the gap assessing the incident assessing the issue and acting on it where you don't really have a lot of time when it comes to technology and when it comes to um risk assessments you don't necessarily have to do it really quickly but you can think about it really deeply and 
you have the ability to also fine-tune it as time goes on which is really important you can keep going back and keep adjusting it I used to do that with my with my 20 uh, point checklist I used to add things and and change the order sometimes because I found that sometimes it was better like one of the things that you do is you test your brakes on the ground the other thing that people don't realize is on a plane the steering wheel doesn't actually turn the plane it just changes the flaps yeah. so on the ground you can't actually turn the plane with with the steering wheel which they call the yoke you actually turn the plane with the brakes of the plane of the wheels that's how you turn it and it pulls itself through the propeller so understanding where risks can happen for instance if the brakes didn't work and you needed to land you wouldn't know that the brakes didn't work if you didn't test them before you took off so it's important like all these little things that you do you do for a reason risk assessments are really important and they're there for a reason they're there to protect everyone and it's everyone's responsibility to accept risk in yeah, some that's, that's a golden rule there uh, what you do for a reason because uh, i've seen that some people just do things and they don't understand these checklists and why they're doing that so this is the golden rule i think what you said is understand you know, the reason why you're doing certain things that helps a lot uh what is your favorite productivity hack is there anything you can share with us uh, hacks or things you do to increase your productivity or assist your work i love excel excel yeah. for me is is the bee's knees i used to program um, many many years ago um, and and coding I, I really enjoyed but excel the i think excel is one of the most fantastic programs out there you can make it do literally anything you want you can get it to analyze you can get it to pivot you can get it to graph you can get it to uh, analyze microsoft even with copilot now can analyze the figures or patterns for you on the fly uh, within excel um, if you want to give it like um, ask it a question based on trends in a in a bunch of numbers that you have it will spit it out almost immediately i have this plugin called fuzzy logic where it actually takes um anything on uh, in the excel spreadsheet be it uh, let's say control numbers or uh, control names or um, incidents or issues and it has code uh, it has uh, keywords that it looks for and i can get it to actually tell me what the most common incidents or issues that have arisen from an extract from our um from our erm um, for the last six months so i can do an extract put it into excel get into excel and start doing all these analysis on it without even me making much of an effort I love the graphing. I've done so many polished, um, and I wish I could share it with you, but it's privileged information and proprietary, so I can't. But I have been called out within my organization about how amazing you can take raw data that means absolutely nothing to human beings and produce a graph that is so, it's so obvious where the gaps are and where the issues are. Uh, one of them, for instance, was end of life and end of support and how the closer we're getting to 2020 
3 and 4 and 5, uh, exponentially we're finding more things are going to be end of uh, support. And that is really important to show that to an executive because they get an idea of how bad the situation will be in one or two years time. And so with the with the graph, you, you could have shown them numbers that run from 1 to 100. They wouldn't have seen it as easily as a graph spiking, for instance, which is really good. That's what I enjoy. I enjoy, like for me, Excel is really good in terms of um, technologies, um, vulnerabilities in that. For me, I have personally used uh, Qualys as a vulnerability scanner, which I find exceptionally good. You can extract those things into Excel and do analysis on those. Another tool that I used um, is called Darktrace, which is a three-dimensional something out of the movies kind of thing and it is a really amazing very expensive system that works on finding problems based on machine learning rather than vulnerabilities it, it is a really interesting concept it looks at it, it looks at behaviors which is an amazing concept yeah, i think yeah. uh, i totally agree i think in in being in assessing or any cybersecurity consultancy work uh, excel is one of the key tools like if you know excel you're good at excel you can save so much time uh, in your work that's uh, one of the hard lessons i think i learned when i had to use excel and produce a lot of analysis as you said so it is one of these secret weapons that every consultant uh, should be really good at Mr. Amir Lupo, thank you so much sir, for your time. Uh, that was really nice and helpful. And I think a lot of people, uh, including myself, learned a few things um, today from yourself. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Shadi. I really enjoy talking about this. And I'm really passionate, much like you are, with risk and technology. Thank you. Rising Cyber by Chad Sally B.